Our first reading this morning is from the prophet Isaiah in the 29th chapter. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people drew near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading this day and also sermon text is from the letter to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying it that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel from Mark's gospel in the seventh chapter. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they came from the mar or when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us to bring us here to hear your word. The gifts that you have given us to sing, to praise, the challenges that come each day where we get to rely on you and how you have taken care of us. We pray, Lord, that you remove distractions from our hearts and minds and that you point us to Christ by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, quick. Everybody say your wedding vows. If you're married. Oh, oh good. That was the answer to the, some of the vows. It's something we don't think about all the time, is it? You heard in the Ephesians text today, the sermon text, that uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He's writing into a culture where uh, the ideas of submission and lordship were not easily received. In fact, those ears land hard, or those ears, those words land hard on our ears as well because of the setting in which we're often in. And we look at more of a worldly view of submission and lordship. So they're tough words to hear. But remember, even in Paul's day, and in an age of arranged marriages, where you didn't even have a choice of the spouse that you were going to live life with, I'm sure those words were just as hard to hear. So things aren't too different in the reception of those words. But hear what Paul's writing, right? He says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything as to the Lord. Kind of hard to wrap our head around. And then he goes on to talk about how the church's role is very similar to the wife's role. And Paul, in his normal fashion, is wrapping around something that we can wrap our heads around with the example of marriage, but then he's also bringing in the relationship between people and God in the midst of all of it and showing how through marriages there's kind of this foggy representation of the relationship between us and God and the love that he has for us as well. And so as I was trying to wrestle through all of these things, I started to think about our marriage vows. And what I found was really interesting, uh, and I've only had an opportunity to officiate a couple of weddings, but there's a portion of the service that most people either want to reword or get rid of, and then there's a portion of the service that remains fairly traditional. And I bet if you were to think of the portion of the service that were your wedding vows, you would probably think of the vows that you made to one another, right? I'll share with you what those sound like. So, 
if you happen to run with the traditional vows. Now, if you wrote your own, I don't know what you said. But that's okay. I'm sure it was formed something along these lines. I, name, take you, other name, to be my wedded wife. So it would have been the groom for the bride. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy will. And I pledge to you my faithfulness. Beautiful words. Beautiful prompts. And that's the same words for the wife to the husband as well, as they promise their faithfulness and love to one another. There's another portion, though, if you work through a fairly traditional setting of the service where there were other vows made. And I wonder if we think about those very often. The wife's vows. This is the pastor speaking to the bride. Bride, will you have this man to be your wedded husband, to live together in the holy estate of matrimony as God ordained it? Will you submit to him as the church submits to Christ? Will you love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health, forsaking all others? Remain united to him alone so long as you both shall live. Then say, I will. Wives, if that was in your service, that's a promise you made to God. Sometimes we think about that promise and sometimes we don't. And it may be floating through your mind at this moment, Pastor, why are you spending so much time with the wives' promises? Because, church, you're the bride of Christ as well. And we'll get to those vows in a second. Husband, we are not left out of this by any means. The vows we remember saying to our brides are exactly as you heard the first time. Now, hear this, though. The promise that you made to God in your wedding. Groom. Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together in the holy estate of matrimony as God ordained it? Will you nourish and cherish her as Christ loved his body, the church, giving himself up for her? Will you love, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, remain united to her alone, so long as you both shall live? Then say, I will. Vows made to God concerning our spouses are deep vows, deep promises, ones I can assure you in thought, word, or deed at some time have been broken. Those are the things that we confess. Prayerfully with an ability to confess those things to one another as husband and wife, and prayerfully as you come to church and hear that opportunity of confession and you lay those things before God and you hear forgiveness for those as well. Because husbands, you are not the savior of your wife, not by any means. Christ is. Christ is the one who also made a vow. It was a long vow. That vow was started in the Garden of Eden, the very first promise given to Adam and Eve that God would do something about the sinful situation and the sin that had happened in the midst of his creation where he promised to Eve there will be a seed that comes from you that will crush Satan's head, though it will bruise his heel. The beginning of a promise of God to his people, of the creator to his created, to a God who loves his church, 
And as that promise carried on throughout time, as he walked through a covenant with Abraham taking on both parts of that promise and then continued on and spoke to Moses and brought people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and continued to hold on to his people. And then as he spoke through all of the prophets for the coming Messiah, the day that the Lord would come to prepare his bride, the church, to wash her so that she would be clean without spot or wrinkle, presentable and righteous to her groom. See, husband, you didn't get to do that for your bride. Christ did. And wives, your husbands love you. And I can assure you, Christ loves you more. As Jesus then prepares his church, you, as he prepares you for him, continue a promise, a promise that he has forgiven you, a promise that he's coming back for you, a promise that he's preparing a place for you as a bridegroom would go prepare a place for his bride, as he would go and get the home ready, as he would go and prepare everything so that once they were together for eternity, once they were wedded and together, that they would be there without anything to separate them at all. So as we hear those words again of submit and lordship, as hard as they land on our ear because they tend to land on our ear with a worldly definition, when we think of submission, we're usually thinking of oppression. We're usually thinking of somebody not listening. But I want you to hear that word in a slightly different way as we submit to the Lord. As we stand before our God and realize his place as creator and our place as created, and that submission is not a passive verb where it's something being done to us, but it's something that we give back and say, God, you created me. God, you have loved me. God, you have given everything that I need in this life into eternity. Thank you. Thank you for all you've done. I trust your ways, Lord. I trust what you are giving. Why? Because you have given me the faith to believe the promise that you love me. That's where we are as the bride of Christ, forgiven and loved, showing honor and respect to the Lord of our lives, the one who is in charge, but he's a loving Lord, not a domineering Lord or an authoritarian Lord. Those are usually the words we think of when we think of lordship. So he's a loving God who's given everything to us, even his life. Husbands, the model that Christ sets as a husband for his bride is impossible for you to stand up to, impossible for you to fulfill, impossible for you to do because you are not Christ. Thanks be to God that his son Jesus is, that he has laid down his life for us, that he has risen his life back up again to forgive us. And I mentioned how his vow continues on. And it sounds very familiar. I could go on and on from baptism to confirmation about the vows that we make as his bride. And I encourage you to look back on those vows as you were brought into the church by God, through His grace, by His word alone, 
as he washed you and cleansed you and asked questions about renouncing the devil and upholding his word and all those sorts of things, look back on those and look back on those vows that you also made to God. You want to know what God's vow sounds like? Sounds like this. I am your God, the Father Almighty. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. My son, that's Jesus. He's my only son. He's your Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, also God. He was born of a woman, Mary, in a way that no other man has ever been born. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know who that is. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead for you. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of mine. And from here, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I also have given you of my Holy Spirit. I've gathered you together as a community in the wide beautiful, wonderful Christian church, which is the bride of Christ, forgiven, washed clean, and loved. And I give you that community to live together with, the community of the saints, where you will hear of the forgiveness of your sins. You will see where Christ has been resurrected so that you too will be resurrected into life everlasting where you will gather together at the wedding feast of the Lamb and you will get to enjoy the most beautiful reception ever. And it will be everlasting. That's God's vow to you. As your Lord, as your Creator, as your Forgiver, and as the husband of the church who has made her clean, washed her, cleansed her, and made her righteous, as you are in your baptism because of what God has done for you through Christ alone, as you hear in his word alone and he gives to you in faith alone. What a wonderful promise to his people. Amen. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us where we were not able to take any of that on upon ourselves, but you wholly and completely have made us yours. We pray, Lord, that you continue to hold on to us, continue to guide us, continue to lead us. As you fill our eyes with the love that you have for us in Jesus, and fill our hearts with the faith to believe in the promises that you have given to us, guide us and lead us by your spirit every day that we would be yours. In your son Jesus' precious name, amen. I invite you to rise as you are able as we sing, Be Thou My Vision.